0: Anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there. And you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day.
1: Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level and you're in the right place? Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host Bo Martonic.
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by my buddies, Ethan Mai and Justin Mueller at the end of our DIY Alaska moose hunt. We discussed the dream of hunting Alaskan moose, troubles on the way, getting dropped off at the wrong lake, judging a bull moose. Lessons learned, the best and worst gear, and all of the good stories from the trip and some of the bad ones. But on this week's Mountain Buck Monday Story of the Week, we have a really good one coming in from Oklahoma and Bradley Hunt. So Bradley wrote in, this is a story about a buck I've had on camera for three years now in a, proper, in a, in a row that was on a property I wasn't very familiar with. And I had been trying to learn. The property had lots of pines and some very steep, rugged terrain. And I'm used to hunting in more flat country, so this has all been a new experience for me and a challenge to figure out, especially the wind. We honed in on a fire road that was made years ago for controlled burns that was about two-thirds of the way up the mountain and made a great bedding slash travel route for the deer. We put a stand on that fire road that went over a saddle that also had a little finger ridge and a small drainage. I hunted my first sit in that spot on November eleventh, 2022. and It was raining all morning hard and it started to let up around seven o'clock. So I made my way to the stand in the light rain. I spooked a big buck getting settled into the stand. So I pulled my grunt tube out and made a few grunts. I heard something coming from the opposite direction that the big buck I spooked ran and i saw another buck was coming and that he was big i ended up putting an arrow in him at 30 yards i then texted my brother and my brother-in-law that i shot a big one and five minutes later my brother-in-law who was sitting on the same fire road in a stand about 400 yards away shot a big eight so we got to retrieve our bucks together it was super it was a super awesome day and so cool to double on two big bucks within five minutes on top of that, neither of us killed the big buck that I spooked. Mine was 156 inch 10 point and his was 130 inch 8 point. Man, these bucks are some absolute bruisers. I recommend anybody go check them out. I have them posted over at East Meets West Hunt on Instagram and East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook. That uh, Just some beautiful deer and uh, from some of the mountain country in an unlikely place of Oklahoma. Think of Oklahoma as being mostly flat, but there's some definitely really good hill country and, and mountains and big wood stuff that's there, too. So that's pretty awesome. Bradley, thanks for sharing that story. If you have a mountain buck story that you would like to submit please send that in to my email com. i would love to be able to share it with everybody and uh yeah just send a paragraph or two with uh some photos and and uh all those details and love to be able to share it uh this week i am in south dakota hunting mule deer slash whitetail but mostly mule deer with uh, my family so I'm going with my dad my cousin Mason cousin Tyler and a couple of my uncles so it's just a family trip it should be pretty fun I'm looking forward to it I don't plan on doing any filming or anything it's just a hunt that we want to do as a family and and uh, get together and have some fun with it so I'm gonna be gone um, this whole week and uh, into the beginning of next week so Try to reach me, that's where I'll be at, uh, and really this whole fall, uh, uh, there'll, there'll be some delayed responses, but <laughs> I'm really looking forward uh, to this trip, and uh, at the time of this releases, I'll be on it. Another uh, news, we have um, the, the weekly Q&A podcast will start to release this Friday, so it'll be a quick 10 to 20 minute episode that comes out answering your questions. So if you have any questions for the Q and a podcast, please submit that to my email, boaties and make sure you put in the subject line that it is for the mountain buck Q and a podcast. And uh, I'd love to be able to go through and put and answer those those questions there. I did say in an earlier episode that I would not be doing a video version, but that has now changed. And I am doing a video version. So I have that on YouTube, you can also submit questions by leaving comments on those YouTube uh, videos there and would love to be able to answer them. And lastly, as always, if you find value in this podcast, please share it with your friends, give a rating and review those things help out so much. And thanks everyone for listening and good luck this October. All right. We're live up in Alaska, interior Alaska, just getting back from a moose hunt. And uh excited to be here with my buddies. So you guys may well you definitely would recognize old Justin Mueller here, who's been along on uh on a lot of my hunts since 2019 filming any of the stuff that looks pretty that shows out in some of the content I do that comes from,
2: from old Justin. Yeah, it's good to be here. We uh, finally got back to town, got some good food, took showers. Yeah. Everyone's feeling pretty good. Yeah. Nice. Long showers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then I'm also joined here by a new guest, but it's been a, a friend of mine for the last probably four years or so, yeah. Ethan D. which I was pronouncing your last name wrong for the whole time I was knowing you and uh, until this trip.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Bo. It's good to be here. And, uh, yeah, it's good to be, it was a great trip. But it's definitely good to be out of the bush and sleeping in a bed and hot showers and, yeah, not freeze dried food. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely needed, uh, some showers. My, uh, this long,
0: long hair, I thought I could get past, you know, the greasiness of it. And it didn't, wasn't necessarily the case for two weeks. So, yeah, we never saw the other side of it. No, I thought, I, I feel like I heard Donnie Vincent say somewhere that like he gets, it gets greasy after a few days and then it goes and just gets back to normal after a while. I never got there.
2: No, it you just, needed a few more days at least. Yeah. It's pretty greasy.
0: A few more months or something <laughs> to see what happens, but it was pretty disgusting. I'll tell you that. I couldn't, I couldn't stand it. The rest of my body I could clean, but couldn't, I had no way of drying my hair if I washed it.
1: Yeah.
0: I sound like a chick saying that, but <laughs> it's the nature of the beast, I guess but before we before we get rolling here, Ethan, do you want to give a little background on on yourself kind of what you do for a
1: living and just kind of how you got to kind of got to this point sure um, so i 'm also from Pennsylvania uh, I live in the northeast corner, and um, so for the last five years or so i 've guided full time um, and that being full-time, it's kind of like a collective thing. you got to travel with the seasons, you know. So like whitetail and uh, turkey out in the Midwest and then waterfowl in Montana um, and then uh, do some upland stuff back home at a uh, pheasant preserve when I'm, when I'm around. And then through the summer months, guide bow fishing in upstate New York. Um, and then uh, in the last couple of years, I have gotten to do some rep work for Sitka and then I guess in addition to that, I'm kind of a wild game nerd too, and and do a lot of uh, cooking and, and, and butchering stuff and uh, some recipes, and and for the last couple of years have done some field to table events for new hunters, walking them through you know just basics of hunting to shooting a white tail doe and and putting it on their plate and um, everything in between and what that looks like.
0: Yeah. No. You. No. You've been. You're you got a lot of things rolling on your plate yeah. and it seems like every time i talk to you i learn something new somewhere you're guiding or doing different things and i think it's pretty cool you know i went boat fishing with you twice now in new york yeah. uh refraction guide service anybody is looking to to do that and in new york it's it's a freaking blast to be able to go shoot carp all night and just man it's uh it's fun fun to get to be able to do that and And, uh, yeah, just getting, getting to know you through that and through shows and everything. But what, what's really cool too, about, about your story is kind of the same as, you know, Justin and myself, where it's just like, you wanted something different. You owned a construction company for, for 10 years
1: and then decided one day that, you know, I'll let you tell a story there. Yeah. I mean, so I was, uh, I had a residential construction company for 10 years. It was going well, um, had all the work I could ask for and, and, uh, I don't know. I mean, trying to think it was 2019. At that point, I've been guiding on the side um, for several years, collectively, a few things. And I just kind of had enough of the construction and all the stress. And I just woke up one day and decided I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to make a living in the outdoors and and pack up the whole construction thing. And and didn't really know what that looked like. I knew it was a lot of guiding and uh, a lot of travel, but I knew that I'd kind of need something else to supplement that and just kind of toughed it out and took a leap of faith and, and everything, everything's worked out and, and, you know, a lot better than what I could have hoped for, you know? So, yeah, no, that's, that's awesome to hear. I mean, it's, it's
0: uh, not, not easy to be able to do that and take that jump and, and, you know, especially, I mean, you were, you've been self-employed since you were 18 years old, you know, you Mm -hmm. never, you know, you didn't follow the traditional route of going somewhat, you know, going to work for a company and then deciding you're done with it you you went did your own company and decided you were done with it and wanted to do something a little bit different and that's what's cool is really anybody can have the ability to uh, to shift paths in life and it's not really ever too late to not sound cliche but it's 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 true sure to to be able to do that and 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 guiding it's you know I, I think guiding is one of those things to me that that A lot of people that look at, you know, want to get in and hunt and stuff all the time, like, oh man, it'd be cool to be a guide. But like seeing what the amount of work you have to do, because, you know, say if you want to be a whitetail guide, that's only a couple months out of the year. You got to find work throughout it. You know, you're, you're guiding waterfowl and you're, you know, you're, shooting stingrays in florida in march and april with you know guiding bow fishing and then you know in new york and it's just like there's a lot of things that piece that together and it's not it's not easy to be able to to do that and make a living but it sounds like it's pretty fulfilling
1: yeah it's um i do i had a good friend of mine that has been in outfitting for 20 some years, um, in 2019, when I was getting ready to kind of take that leap, he was like, man, he's like, uh, you're not going to make a ton of money being a full-time guide, but it's just a lifestyle thing. And, and you know, he's like, not everybody's cut out for it. He's like, but he's like, you'll be, you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and too like it, I,
0: I remember when, when we met, And we went back and forth and I can't remember if it was at a trade show or ATA or great American outdoor show, whatever it was. But I remember specifically you coming up to me and being like, man, like your story of going out West reminds me the first time I went to Alaska and you started telling the story about, you know, caribou hunting in Alaska in 2018 for your first time. And we really kind of bonded on that, on that side of things.
1: Yeah. You know, I think we chatted a little bit on Instagram and like I was traveling so much at the time. You didn't know whether I was from Missouri or or Pennsylvania. Yeah, (laughs) And we, you know, we, we chatted a little bit on Instagram and, um, we had never actually met, but just following your stuff, you know, you just do a good job of being relatable and, and just, you know, as, as another guy that grew up in Pennsylvania, just hunting whitetail and Turkey that like to try to roam around out West once in a while, I definitely, you know, connected, you know, related to your stuff and was just like, you know, I felt like you would be somebody that would be fun to run around with and hunt with and, and just, you know, whatever, you know, and, and, uh, sometimes you meet people through the industry too, and you're disappointed when you meet them, you know, and, and, um, you know, that obviously wasn't the case since we're sitting here, you know, but we finally met at Harrisburg. Uh, I think you were working the Maven booth. Yeah. And we, uh, we just started chatting a little bit and then, so, I was on the heels of that caribou hunt that you were talking about in 2018, and you were getting ready to go that that upcoming year. Yes. So we kind of, you know, we talked about the caribou and, and you know, the little knowledge I had about it I tried to convey, and then we just kept in touch, and we went bow fishing and, and been friends ever since. Yeah, no, that, that, that all makes sense. And it's funny that we ended
0: up, you know, moose hunting together, you know, a few yeah. years later, and that's not like – and and I've told you this and, and Justin knows it too. Like I keep my circle of people that I hunt with, especially on hunts like this, very small. Cause you just don't know what you're going to get into. And, uh, so it's like, it's like, man, you know, go, but after getting to know you and going bow fishing and seeing some of your past, you know, past experience and like just the level of training and the other stuff you do with discipline and everything. It was like, I was like, I think, I think we can make this, this work out.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I appreciate that more than, you know, it's definitely not lost on me because I, you know, I often talk about how I don't do Western trips or backcountry trips with just anybody. It's obviously like a very small group of people that, that you want to sign up to do that with, you know, people that are going to put the work in, pull their weight and, you know, not make excuses and, and obviously capable people. But then when you're, you know, you're talking about like a flying trip in Alaska with, you know, and you're obviously in grizzly country and stuff too that circle gets a lot smaller. And, yeah. uh, you know, the fact that we hadn't hunted together prior to this, you know, aside from bow fishing, obviously, which is totally different. Yeah. Like, uh, it's not lost on me the, the leap of faith and trust that you took, like, signing on to come do this hunt with me. And I really appreciate you having that and, and coming coming along on this trip. No, man, I mean, I
0: appreciate the the opportunity. that cause So just to give everyone a background, kind of what I want to do with this podcast is kind of start – at the beginning, a little bit—not dives too much in logistics and everything, but just kind of start to, to to build that framework. Of December of last year, um, you called me and were like, "Was like, hey, I have an opportunity to go on a moose hunt in Alaska, DIY, unguided, fly in. Do, do you Do you want to go? I'm like. Holy cow. He's like, and you have like three days to make a decision. Uh, Cause just the way that it works as far as with these transport, I mean, if anyone listened to the podcast, I did with Kyle Hansen back in January, of 2023, he talked about unguided moose hunting usually takes four or five years of trying to get in just to get in with somebody to be able to do it. And honestly, I was like, I don't know if I can swing it financially from a time standpoint all I just got an Idaho elk tag which I was fired up about cuz I hadn't been there since I killed a bull and like all these things and I was like what do I do and and I remember I was I was remember talking I was talking to my girlfriend about it and she was like this is your dream just do it like and at first she was like if you're worried about like you know being able to pay for the filming and all that stuff. Don't film it. Just go do it and make it a vacation for you. You know, and obviously I wanted to have a film Then I want to have (laughs) my buddy Justin along. So I figured out, you know, the, the process of getting that done, but it was, uh, I I was like, it it took a while to settle in that it was, that it was real and it was happening. And then, yeah, we just, we kind of just had to make it, make it happen in that time period. And I, I, I I truly believe like with some of these things, even though you're never, I feel like you're never in a situation where you feel perfect about being able to do any big thing. You know what I mean? Like it's not, you're not always like in the perfect financial situation or this, but it's like, I have a date. Now it's time to work towards it
1: and and get ready at that point. Yeah. There's something about that mindset that's kind of like, I don't know how I'm going to pull this off, but I'm going to do it yeah um yeah and a little bit more backstory on on how this hunt came about so this particular air taxi service we uh you know i hunted with them in 2018 they're pretty tough to get in with even you know as a return customer they don't necessarily have enough spots for all their return customers in the last two years i had been trying to uh come back up here and do another caribou trip with uh my now fiance uh courtney and then a couple of buddies that wanted to come do this trip and what Courtney's wanted ever since she was a little kid more than anything in the world is to go hunt Alaskan caribou. Like that's just been her dream. Um, so I've been trying to get a spot for caribou and I've, you know, I've been there, done it, but I was happy to go and do it again. But I was simultaneously trying to get a spot for moose because that's my dream hunt. I don't have a lot of bucket list hunts per se, like, you know, like in my head of like, Oh, I want to do this, this and that. But I know that like moose is at the top of it. Like ever since I was a kid, like I've just wanted to come to Alaska and, and hunt a moose. So, for the last couple of years, I'm trying to get a spot for either or hoping to get one or the other and been unsuccessful. And then this year I learned that I got a spot for both. (laughs) Right. So I'm like, well, uh, I can't just like, I can't tell them we're not going on a caribou hunt because I'm going to go on this moose hunt. It just seemed a little too selfish. And I was going to nix the moose hunt and, um, you know, given the logistics and whatnot, you know, too, I knew that obviously I wasn't going to go on this trip alone. And excuse me, we, uh, so I, I called you, see if you want to go on this trip. And I, in my back of my head, I'm like kicking around. I'm like, gosh, I'm going to have to cancel it. I'm going to have to give up this moose spot because you were in the same boat. Like you were, you know, you were already going to Alaska. I, so I was going to Alaska in August for, uh, you know, for caribou, you had an Alaskan trip plan. And we're just like, man, we don't, we don't ball on that kind of budget. We can't just swing two Alaska trips in one year, but we both arrived at the same conclusion, this moose hunt thing. It's just not getting cheaper, easier to get these spots. And and you don't know what tomorrow brings, if there is a tomorrow. And we're just like, man, we gotta, we gotta figure it out and we, we gotta make this thing happen. And, and also I didn't tell you at the time, uh, I was guiding waterfowl in Montana on the Missouri river. And, uh, me and me and the dog almost went down the river guiding and didn't come out that couple day window where we're trying to, (laughs) trying to decide whether we're going or not. And I'm like, got home. I was like, I'm going on that moose hunt. So, um, we just, I took it on the chin and I was like, I'm going to make both these things happen. And and here we are. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. What about for you, Justin? You, have you never filmed a
0: moose hunt before <laughs> or anything?
2: No, I've been trying to find a moose hunt for the last five years. You know, <laughs> it's always been something I've wanted to do. And, and you called me and, and, you know, you were kind of like, we're still working details. Just wanted to know if you're interested. I was like, I'm interested, you know? <laughs> and I don't know, it was probably a couple of weeks later you called and said, we're doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's been great. It's, it's been a hunt where, you know, I've done a lot of deer and elk and stuff like that. It's all a lot of fun, but moose has always kind of been that, that dream hunt. And I think for a lot of people, including myself, where it's just something you just want to do.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's true. It's, it's actually funny. So Justin is two, like two to three days after we get back, you turn around and going on another moose hunt. Just so happened you got two of them this year. Yeah.
2: I got a, this hunt and then a moose hunt in British Columbia and I'll be home for four days. So <laughs> Never had a moose hunt before, now we have back to back ones. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Learn learning a lot, right? That's right. <laughs>
0: uh, but yeah, no, so that that was cool. That was kind of the planning the planning process there is doing that. And so we were figuring, like, you know, all logistics. Like now it's like, okay, you know, unguided, like you have these air taxi services that Basically, their job is just to fly you in and fly you out. They're not required to give you any more information. They're not even really allowed to give you much more information as far as the hunting, everything. They have spots that open up. They drop you off there, and you're on your own. And so we're, like, trying to make weight for that. That was a stressful thing of, like, how are we going to make weight and trying to do this and blah, blah, blah. And we ended up having to get two planes to fly in with our gear. And we were still... Still pretty light compared to the other people we've talked to as far as gear that we went in um but it uh it was pretty wild, so we got up to we got up to Fairbanks on september 5th? fifth
2: fifth fifth
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I think we got here in the middle of the night on the sixth, so it was like that that yeah Slept a few night, a few uh hours in the, the hotel, and then we were going to make the the drive in the the U-Haul truck that that you rented there, the the single cab long bed. Yeah, we yeah. Had to ride three deep
1: all the way here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's better than the box truck that we had to drive four deep across the bench seat last mm-hmm. month here on the the Caribou trip. <laughs> yeah,
0: so we so we got to do that and 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 come in and so. Ethan, I'm, I'm going to throw you right under the bus here. So I knew. We, we, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't, to- we didn't do it in the film, but I think the podcast is the right place for it. So you know, Ethan, your, your lip is healing up nicely, but we get here and we're getting ready to fly in. They're like, we, we weren't supposed to fly in for three more days, but they told us if we came early and we were ready to go, that they could potentially get us out early. And I was like, I want to be out there as long as possible and be there. So the season was, was 10 days and, uh, and we are going to be out there for 13, essentially. And we're getting ready to, to fly in and Ethan looks and he can't find his release for his bow. And he was bow hunting. I was gun hunting and that was a big deal.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Real big deal. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I had, I always keep my, so I shoot a thumb button and I always keep my thumb button release tucked on the side of my bino harness and it just doesn't fall out of there. Like I've never had an issue and, Uh, you know, with logistics of travel, I threw my bino harness, everything in it, like right in one of my check bags. Well, it must have worked its way out of that bino harness into my Sitka duffel bag, like during the flight and and just getting handled. And without knowing it, when we were in Fairbanks at the hotel room, we were getting our stuff situated, basically ready to step onto that bush plane. Because if we got there in time, they were Possibly going to fly us out you know that afternoon, like you said, so we're like, man, we want to pull in, ready to go, so in that process, my release must have worked its way out, fell into the bottom of the sitka duffel, and then like shuffling my stuff around the hotel room, it worked its way out of the bag, and uh was uh w- yeah it was in the the hotel room in Fairbanks, so we get here and we're like, man, we're going out this afternoon, this is great, like grabbing our stuff, putting my bow together, and every bow hunters were like worst nightmare. Like I can't find my release. And I'm like, Oh, it's just gotta be in the bottom of that bag. And I just ripped everything apart. Juice helped me. And, and we just, we couldn't find it. And, uh, I was like, man, it's gotta be in that hotel room. I know I didn't leave it at home. And I know like, you never come on a trip like this without a backup release. And I like, I already knew that. Like, I know there's, you know, it's like, Oh, there's a lesson to be learned. I'm like, no, I already knew that. I just was being dumb. And anyhow, the funny part was earlier that day when we left, we were leaving the the hotel in Fairbanks, we had met this very nice guy, a little strange, but very nice guy in the parking lot. And he runs some sort of shuttle service and we didn't really know much about it. He, you know, gave us his brochure and, uh, was like, yeah, hit me up next time you're in Alaska. And we're just like, all right, you know, and thank God we kept that brochure and, and put it, you know, in the U-Haul. Um, Otherwise, I'd have been driving back. So I was just like, man, let me take a shot in the dark, call this guy. Oh, yeah. I asked him if he was coming this way. um, Asked him if he was coming this way by any chance. And he said, no, but I can. And so I was like, man, like, what's it going to take for you to to drive this release all the way out here to me? And it's not a short drive. And he's like, "Yeah, give me a couple hundred bucks. I was like, done. So (laughs) anyhow, this guy, he, uh, anyhow, this guy, he drives several hours out here brings me my release, cost me a couple hundred bucks, whatever. I was like, okay, got my release. I'm going to fly in the morning because we needed that extra gear flight. You guys got flown in late in the day, might not have been able to get that second flight in that day anyhow. So it was really kind of like no harm, no foul. And it was like, all right, like the season didn't start for a couple of days. I'm not missing anything. So now that I have my release, I go to shoot my bow and <laughs> i i go I, I i shoot at 20 it's right on i shoot at 40 it's right on and i was like eh, just for confidence let me let me shoot one at 60 i get like halfway drawn back and my D loop pops and i come back and punch myself right in the mouth and uh it really came to to respect my right hand after that you know i <laughs> yeah so i uh i walked inside of the air taxi service didn't know it i'm like bleeding so i'm like i'm a hot mess at this point like forgot my release now <laughs> i've punched myself in the mouth and bleeding i just look like an idiot and it's getting dark at this point i come I come across the street to the hotel i brought my d loop pliers and some some d loop material and uh have you ever wanted to have levi morgan andy may johnny stewart and others
0: available at all times Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery, mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20% and if you're still on the fence, give the 14 day free trial a chance at spartanforge.ai CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S. and I've been using the Acura series, but they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders rifles and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash cva if you use the code east meets west 10 you'll get 10 percent off of all cva products which includes rifles muzzleloaders and accessories
1: and then so i came in tied a new d loop on it and then went outside to shoot and make sure everything was okay uh i went outside it's it's fairly dark at this point i got the headlights on and shot my shot my bow out to like 60 in the headlights and it was on and flew out the next morning and we were moose hunting yeah
2: it actually worked out good because like you said there was a chance you might not have got out anyways and the following day we were completely socked in with rain yeah you couldn't see you couldn't hardly even see the lake no so it it, i'm sure you were pretty embarrassed the whole time during it but you really didn't miss out on anything
0: yeah Yeah. we yeah, Justin and I, the first the first night we got in, it was kind of like we got in right before dark, which is kind of, you know, you just get dropped off in the middle of nowhere, Alaska. You got to set up camp, got to find a spot. We couldn't find a tree to hang our food in. We were kind of panicking a little bit to get that done. And, you know, you just kind of like have that anxiety and that stress from like, you're, it's excitement, but you still have this anxiety and stress of going in there and thinking you might have forgot something. And in, you know, Ethan wasn't there, and it was just like this weird mindset I was in, and I just felt anxious and couldn't. I don't know, I just couldn't get settled, and I was struggling even then to fall asleep once we got everything set up. And it just it was just rainy and gloomy, and the whole next day it downpoured and it was socked in. Where yeah, you could barely even see the lake that we were camped ten feet off of. Uh, it was so bad. And we just laid in the tent. Yeah. All day long. All day long. Yeah. <laughs> Read a book. I had I had a Jack O'Connor book that, that Kurt had let me borrow and uh for this hunt so I'm reading some of that and just laying there. I'm like, hmm, this is moose hunting, huh? But the season hadn't opened yet anyway, so it wasn't a big deal. And then the rain cleared just for a little bit. You popped in, the float plane dropped you off. And Instantly, life was better. Life was, yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> life is <it> better. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so then it was like, all right, tomorrow's tomorrow's opening day. And the other funny thing about this was that where there was a little bit of additional stress for me there was my, my uh, um, well, I thought the lake we were going to was a different lake. Then we were at there just so happens to be two of the same lake names um only not very far apart about no. i don't know six seven miles apart maybe just less than far maybe enough was. where you
2: didn't have it downloaded
0: just far <laughs> i yeah and i had the low res downloaded but it wasn't wasn't great as far as imagery or anything there so i was like crap you know, I had a GPS, I had, you know, Spartan Forge, I had everything you could imagine for mapping for a different area. And I was like, that's a, that's a lesson learned there. Um, but and then I was like, all right, well, I, I don't know anything. But at the same time, it was like, all right, you know, guys came out years ago without mapping and looking at how to scout this stuff. It's like, we were just talking, we're like, let's find a high spot. Everyone, everything we learned about moose hunting in our research leading up to it, because none of us had moose hunted and don't claim to be, you know, quote unquote, moose hunters. I mean, now we are. We are. Now. We're pretty, yeah, are yeah, 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 we're pretty seasoned now. We have three I- seasons
2: between us now of experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: But I was like, um, so everyone says, try to get to where you can see and just call and sit there. And that's that's what the game is. There's no use in walking around doing all that, which it's tough to walk around anyways. And so we found a um, a glassing spot up on the hill. We saw it and we climbed up there, which was about a half mile from camp. And uh, but it's the toughest half mile that that I've probably walked in a while, just because walking on tundra is like if. Jack O'Connor wrote it in the book when he talked about writing or uh, walking on tundra. It's like your legs are filled with lead, it feels like, because you're just walking on cushions, like walking on pillows as you're going the whole way up. And uh, we found a really sweet spot that we called home, and I had uh, the Sika glassing tarp, which they don't make it anymore. I wish they did because that thing's freaking awesome, and saved us. And we put that up over top of us, and all three of us
2: fit underneath it, and that was home. That was home. Yeah. We spent a lot of time underneath that tarp. A lot of time in the rain too.
1: Like you pointed out, we spent more time in that thing than we did in our own tents. We actually.
2: did. Yeah. <clears throat> we definitely did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it, it's kind of comfortable glassing in the tundra because it is soft. A lot nicer <laughs> than sitting on a rocky hillside in the high country in Colorado or somewhere, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was actually, it wasn't bad at all. Yeah. But then uh, just kind of like talking through the hunt here as we're, as we're going through. I mean, the first six, seven days, we never saw a single moose.
1: Yeah. Well, aside from uh, Sophie made her first appearance, that appearance on what? The first or second day? I think it was like the third day, wasn't it? Was, yeah, it was like th- the, third the third day. Yeah. The third day was when that that bull cruised by. Um, that wasn't until September 10th. Yeah. I, it have, it my, yeah, I have
0: it right, in my sorry. notes. Yeah. Yep, it yep. wasn't until September 10th. And so she was the day before that, I think, or so whatever I it think was.
2: we had like three days, maybe two of absolutely nothing. Right. Cause so the yeah. first day we were like, oh, you know, early in the season, second day was like, well, this is moose hunting. Third day. It's like, okay. Yeah. Where are these moose at?
1: Yeah. Uh, And from everybody that we had talked to, research we had done, it's like, yeah, don't expect to see a lot that first week, you know? So it was just kind of like, we weren't alarmed yet. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, And, and we, yeah, we weren't really alarmed, but at the same time it was like, man, it'd be be nice to see some moose. And, but my training in hunting Pennsylvania, big woods and low deer density areas helped in there with knowing of not seeing a whole lot. But the thing was that I think we struggled with throughout it was we didn't know what was good and what wasn't. <laughs> yeah. and then we saw this cow that we named Sophie because when you when you're on the side of the mountain, you find a lot of thing You have to find a lot of things to talk about, essentially. And so we were naming. You know, we called this point that she came across the water Sophie's Point. Rightfully so. Rightfully so, because she'd come out, and we thought she was going to be the girl that brought all the boys to the yard.
1: Yeah. Sophie yeah.
0: ended up being a pretty big letdown. And she left her so.
2: milkshake at home. Huh? Yeah. yeah. She had she, very strong morals, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. She, she, uh, she, she let us down a little bit. But, uh, nonetheless, um, just kind of going through, we, we basically what we do is we'd sit there from first light well the first few days we couldn't go up at first lake because we were socked in so you couldn't even see so we'd sit at the lake call and just look out and then once the clouds lifted the fog lifted we go up and we sit and we sit there till just a little bit before dark and come down and then the last few minutes of light we'd sit down there right by camp at the lake do some calling and one one uh one night september 10th that uh, uh, yeah that's what it was september 10th all of a sudden I heard a stick crack at the same time, Ethan and I kind of looked it in the same direction and then just heard a bull grunting and he was freaking cruising.
1: Yeah. We looked at each other in disbelief too. Yeah. Like, Cause it was, again, that was our first, you know, we're pretty deep in the hunt. We hadn't heard or seen of a bull and like that first grunt, me and you looked at each other, like, did we just hear what we thought we heard or hoped we heard? And, and sure enough, it was followed up by a second and a third and, and yeah, he kept going. Yeah. Yeah, he uh he came through and I just you got a little better look
0: than, than Justin and I did, but I just saw a flash of paddles going through and he just I mean he was on the other side of the lake in like no time. Just
2: grunting the whole time grunting too. the whole time. Yep.
1: Yeah, so there was there's two things to point out. It was I mean, it was after legal or ethical, uh like shooting hours, yeah, know, both. And then also we didn't have a chance to identify whether this was even a legal bull or not. Yeah. Um, Cause I mean, that's something we haven't mentioned yet. The legal bull uh, in this particular unit has to have four brow tines on one side, at least four brow tines on one side or be at least 50 inches wide. Yeah. Um, you know, we could dive more into that, you know, but for the sake of this, we couldn't, I we couldn't identify this as a clearly legal bull and, it was pretty apparent that he had come into our calls from that day, maybe the day before. I mean, he he really zeroed in on where that call was coming from. And from what we gathered, like, this bull's probably going to be in the area in the morning. So we're just like, all right, cool. Like, he's in the area. You know, he knows that, you know, there's a cow there calling, and we're just like, he'll be there in the morning, and we'll, we'll get up and listen, call, and try to make a play on him and get a better look. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. And that, So the, to
0: dive, might as well talk about the, the legal requirements there because that was one of the things that worried me the most coming here was like, I just really hope these bulls have four brow points because how is a guy from Pennsylvania supposed to know what a bull looks like over 50 inches? So there were some steps that, that I took to try to learn this. I spent a lot of time watching videos and hearing people talk about it. And it's like even seasoned moose hunters struggle with it sometimes, but they're like, Oh, between the eyes are you know, average eight inches. So you can go off from there. You know, if their paddles are layout flatter that, you know, gives them a little bit more width cause their points, you know, stick out and all these little things. And, and then also I learned, uh, from, from my buddy Gary over at uh, guardian precision during the long range course about using MOA, my rifle scope, to be able to calculate how wide something is at a particular distance. Uh, So so those were the things we were going with. And it was like, all right, man, like this is, this is going to be tough to, I just really hope he has four brow points. And you and I were driving to the airport and we're like, so, you know, you've been looking at a lot of bulls pictures. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, me too. I was like, do you know anything? Notice anything in common about the brow points? We're like, yeah. There's a lot of big bulls that don't have four brow points. <laughs> yeah.
1: Meanwhile, like the whole time, people are trying to tell us that there's usually a correlation between like, oh, if he's over fifty, usually he's got four brow points. And then like we start looking more, and we're just like, I feel like we're being lied to. There's a lot of really big bulls that we're seeing with like two brows. Yeah. So that was our worst fear, seeing like sixty inch moose and letting him walk. Cause he's only got two brows. And and everybody says just like, man, you want to shoot him off a of brow point. You don't want to guess their width because it's yeah, they kind of all look big. So we, we were just yeah. hoping for four brows. Yeah, we uh
0: yeah, we were talking to um, – um, well, I was talking to even uh, my buddy Adam Grenda who's been on the, the podcast before, and his daughter shot a cranker of a moose uh, here a little while ago, and it was 73 inches wide, and it had two brow points on one side and maybe three on the other. Yeah. And, it's, and that's a just a giant bull. And so for anyone that's listening that's not familiar with moose hunting, they go – they go off of measurements of width. That's how people describe a big bull. Essentially, I know there's scores for it, but like mostly you hear people talk, and it's like, oh, that's that's a sixty incher. You yeah, know, that's like
1: how people describe whitetail in Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it's like so they it goes off of width. So that was that was a, and that'll kind of lead into um, you know we had. I think we maybe had seen another cow um, after that, way off, you know, a couple days, and then it was, you know, pretty pretty slow. And and if I am recalling correctly, it was not until September fourteenth.
2: Well, um, the day, the night after we got the glimpse of the one, yeah. Then that following night, back at the lake, is when we heard the grunts across the lake. Could be the same bull. Then we heard him walking, mm-hmm. yeah. But then, yeah, then we had a gap of. A few days, yeah. Well, that actually, and actually,
0: the the night that we heard, we saw that bull and heard him, we heard him that next morning. Oh, or next morning. Yeah, okay. we still, but we ended up hearing then in the evening, then the following yep. day or whatever. But we heard them, so we're like, okay, what do we do? And the way uh, Ethan and I were working, so Ethan had a bow, I had a rifle, and we just swapped every day who was kind of like the lead person or who was going to make the decisions, who was going to be the the final say and and get the shot essentially. And uh so we decided instead of going up to our glassing knob to set up because he came through once in that area. So Ethan set up there with the bow. I was behind doing some raking, and Justin was there at the first thing in the morning. And then we split up to try to cover. We're like, okay, we know one one moose has crossed at Sophie's Point before. It's probably good crossing. So me and Justin went over there, we're watching that. We kind of had both sides covered if that bull were to come back to the direction that he had came from the night before. And, uh, it was just a long day of looking at ducks and
1: swans, swans. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of about it. Yeah. I was so convinced that bull was coming back through that opening. I was too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, yeah, I was too. And then, then after that, it was, uh, you know, a few days of nothing and September 14th was, uh, we're sitting there. I don't know if we're eating breakfast or just got done or something. And Ethan, you, you looked up and you're like, bull at Sophie's crossing. I'm like, what? You know, we look up and I'm like, Big bull! Big bull yeah. <laughs> You know I grabbed this spotter. I had it's my just mate a mate. madhouse. Yeah, it like, yeah, was like panic, you know. And it, this at this point, this this crossing is fourteen hundred and forty yards away from us. So it's a ways off. We're like, big bull and, <laughs> and you start calling and uh you couldn't and he and he wasn't hearing it at first and then I had my bugle tube and then you threw some grunts into that bugle tube and then we started raking a tree and he heard and he looks and we're still looking through the spotter, ch- trying to count brow points.
1: I'm like, dude, I'm not getting four. no, no. And, and we went so back and forth on that bowl. Like I spotted him um, just with the naked eye and then I put the binos on him. And if you remember the first thing I said was, I don't know about brows. I don't know what's there, but I, I don't think he's like definitively wide enough. Yeah. And then we, continue to go back and forth over the encounter between he's big he's huge and then like i don't know yeah and they, he so he starts working in and he heard and
0: we just kept calling him. he worked his way across the water i was freaking epic footage through the through the phone scope there on my my spotter of him crossing the water and when he crossed the water with the sun hitting him He looked like a freaking 65-inch bull at that point. He looks
2: giant. That's what I'm worried about in the film. Everyone's going to see that one clip and be like, there's no way he's not legal. Yeah. But that, that clip was just beautiful. But he... I mean, you heard Ethan calling, heard you raking, and he just followed the the tree line around, and it was very apparent that he was coming in. There was never a doubt in our minds that he was coming.
1: His whole attitude changed as soon as he heard that call. It was, yeah, it was very evident that he was reacting to that. Yeah, and he blew
2: up four or five different trees on the way in, just on a rope. Dude, such an awesome
0: experience. Like, that's what we were looking to get and and get out of this. And he starts coming in, and we're like, holy cow, he's going to come right out to this opening. So I get the... I'm like, we still didn't know at that point. We we're like, we're pretty sure he's not legal, but we're going to get ready and he's going to, he's borderline. So I set up my rifle on the tripod. He comes out, had to range 440 yards, pops out there, range him. And I look through the rifle scope, use the MOAs, start doing some measurements. I'm like, guys, I'm not coming up with anything more than 47 inches. And I'm like, he's not. And honestly, we had talked about it before, unless our guesstimation was like, 55 inches we weren't gonna really shoot because we could be off you know there's there's a lot and like they have to be looking directly at you if they're cantered a little bit they might look a little wider you'll get a wrong measurement so it was like ah you know and he's just looking up at the hill at us but their eyesight's not very good but he knew where the sound was coming from yeah he had us pinpointed from across the lake yeah you know
2: and the, the thing is, too, it's not like he was walking across an open prairie to us. He was walking through the trees, hitting trees, little openings. Yeah. So it's not like you guys ever had a five-minute window to really look at him and, and really look at him. You yeah. You are kind of just picking your spots until he got real close to us.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and he – well, do we get to – we haven't got to how many brows he had yet. But, yeah, we – you know, so he – we finally discovered that this bull has three brows on each side, and, uh, you know, his – on both sides, one of his brows was, was relatively small. And I, we just kept looking at him trying to like, ah, oh, maybe there's a fourth brow. And we just kept looking. And, and like Justin said, like, they're just getting these little windows and he's got to be looking the right way. And, you know, I wasn't convinced yet that, that, uh, he didn't have four, a fourth one hiding somewhere, but then he stopped down there at the base of the hill and just stared into our souls. And that's when we were both like, or all of us were like, I, I can't put a fourth brow on him. And then we got a chance to really all kind of guesstimate his width, and, and none of us could get him to fifty. Yeah, so at that point we kind of just sat down, and Justin
0: was filming him. He was at two hundred some yards at this point, at the bottom of the hill. He just stared up for ever and didn't even blink. Like he just yeah didn't move for twenty minutes, <clears throat> twenty five minutes, and then he just bedded down there. Yeah, we're well, like, oh, God, I guess we can't call anymore for a little bit. And then we looked, and he gone. We thought he was gone. And we're like, oh, he must have slipped out. Ethan starts calling again. Right at that point, boom! He's, he's all of a sudden, we hear crashing. Ethan and I were going to fill up our water bottles.
1: This little stream, and we look, and that bull's right there at sixty yards. Yeah, I mean, this is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we haven't really described the landscape a ton yet, but it was steep. Like you know, we both figured, like, yeah, moose probably find their way up here, but it didn't really seem like it was very likely he was going to come up that hill. And like, we're, like you said, we're just on our way to get our water bottle, and he's at, like right there, sixty yards, and we're just like, oh man. So that was that was a pretty cool experience to, yeah. To call that bull from 1,400 yards plus into into bow range was wild.
2: Yeah, and it was cool. um, Like, you know, call them all the way in. And then he got to the point where we were like, okay, he's not legal. So then we stopped calling. And instead of just working his way off, he bedded down and just waited. He would have have been there all day. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of a cool thing that I didn't really – maybe they don't do that, all of them, but I thought that was very cool that he just hung around and waited. And the second we call again, he's up and he's on us.
0: Yeah. You know? yeah he was he was yeah he was right on us and when he came in then at one point uh uh when he was standing there and i was like justin he's right here and he's justin starts coming over with his camera and he's got this big lens on it's white and the tripod's big so he's got to kind of hold it up over his shoulders and i got worried that that bull is going to see that white flash and think it was antlers and come charging in i was like just just hold off there for a second yeah i don't want to get into a tussle with this thing
1: no i think it's important to point out too that he really wasn't that interested in the cow calls like he what he was coming into was the grunts and the rape. yeah so he was sure. territorial he's like he seemed like he was looking for a fight and that's what kind of made me laugh too about him like bedding down at the bottom of the hill you know i was like we kind of shut up and he's just kind of like all right i'll wait down here for you to come down you can't wait up there forever you know so it was yeah. like that bull's attitude was to fight so at that point when he was staring at us at 60 yards we were like all right let's not provoke this bull anymore so yeah so you hollered for justin to sit down yeah that, that was uh that was crazy to
0: to be able to see and then so that anyways he saw us and he ran off well i'm shooting a new bow this year and i am pumped after playing around with the buddy's Hoyt rx8 the smile on my face made the decision for me the first thing i noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like i prefer I outfitted my own RX 8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one, it's the Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, The integrated kickstand within the HBX exact cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stalk just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting, and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the themobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. And he ran quite a ways. Um, he ran down and up and went this, around this patch of trees. And then we never saw him go back around the lake. And we're like, oh, whatever. And like four hours later, think he's gone. Start calling again. All of a sudden, we see trees start shaking yeah. in this group. And we're like, holy cow, he's still there. What do you know? He comes right back in again, not all the way to, to 60 yards, but he came into that same exact spot at the bottom of the hill, looking up at us at 200 yards and then beds down again. And it wasn't until we were leaving right before dark that we blew him out on our thermal switch and went down the hill. Cause they can smell freaking, mm.
2: I mean,
1: he blew out a ways away from us.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. We saw him running at the end
1: yeah we went from our attitudes were totally different the second time he came in, yeah like the first time he came in, we were just like, man, we were like so pumped and grateful about having that experience and that e- encounter, and then we discovered he wasn't legal we didn't we didn't feel comfortable shooting him and definitely not cuz we didn't want to like if if that bull was legal all of us would have been very happy to take that bull home yeah, so yeah. then so then when he wouldn't leave us alone it just became torturous you're just like staring at this bull and we're like all just can't help but like try to remeasure him and just we're like man just just leave already <laughs> and, and not only was he well within easy rifle range for bow
2: where he was would have been an easy stock with the bow like, yeah, either one of you could have had them very easily, multiple times. So it was just like you are sitting there looking at him and it's just like, oh man,
1: and, and an easy pack out, very easy. Pack I mean, out. it was it was at the very farthest, a quarter mile away from the lake shore. Yeah, yeah. So you know, and, and yeah, it was just everything about it was right, and he just you know, I mean, we were, it was just one brow tying away from being everything that you want. Yeah, yeah. That
0: was uh that was a heartbreaker. That was a tough one, but it was. It was a really cool experience to have that happen and be able to actually call in a bull, see him work in from that far away, thrashing trees, watching their mannerisms, getting to look through the like getting to look through the spotter up close and personal and seeing like just
1: the emotions on the bull, just kind of seeing them stand there, it's just so so cool. Well, like you said too, like that's like that's what we came here for, you know. Obviously you know, you want to shoot one too, but like, you know, you hear turkey hunters talk about like getting the show. Well, we got the show, yeah. you know, and yep. that was however many days deep into the hunt what were we were a week into the hunt about. Yeah. A little over a A week. little, like eight or nine days. Yeah. yeah. And it was deep enough into the hunt where like, you know, all of us here were, you know, we, um, we still had the mindset of like, you know, it tomorrow could be the day, you know, just keep, keep grinding. No, nobody's complaining. Nobody's like oh, super negative. Like we were jokingly, you know, we were making jokes about how, you know, how funny it was, but, you know, we were all keeping, or how slow it was rather, but we were, you know, we were keeping a positive attitude and just grinding. But at that point in the trip, the day before in my mind, like that's when it started to sink in before we had that encounter with him, we hadn't had any encounter with any bull and it was starting to sink in like, man, we might not get the show here. Like we, you know, and we might not get that bull encounter. And I was, I felt myself getting a little bit bummed out. Like coming to terms with that you know and aside from you know like the reality sinking in like i might you know we might not come home with a bull then it was like man we might not even get that encounter and it was i was i felt myself getting bummed and then that bull came in and just tore everything up we called him in we had you know just this amazing reaction and and after he left you know we turned to each other and we're like you know what like regardless of what happens you know whether we we punch our tag or not go home happy that we got that encounter it was like, that's what we came to Alaska for. And it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, no, mo- most definitely.
0: And, and then like, it was, we thought everything was like, you know, picking up and the rut's going to be full swing. And then it went to another lull. Like it was kind of mm-hmm. slow for a couple of days. And then the day before the last day of the season was probably our best day from sighting. So that Saturday was probably our best day of sightings. We saw what looked like a giant moose, way off 1. 1.6 1. 1.7 miles out and and just for everyone that's also listening like seeing that's like oh you see him one you know 1.7 miles away why wouldn't you know you go after him why wouldn't you you know do that and and so to explain like everything I've learned f- from people that moose hunting was like you don't shoot a bull at the maximum two miles from camp And that's a freaking, that's a two day pack out at least to be able to get something that far. But where this bull was this, there was like a chain of lakes that went through and he was on that. It would have took us two hours to get over to him. And he was there and gone in a matter of two minutes. He was chasing a cow in the opposite direction. And it was just like, it was, it was so cool to be able to see that. Like that one looked, I mean, now it was that far
1: away, but he looked wide enough. Yeah, if I had to bet that was a legal bull. Um, Yeah. You know, and like you said, like to even try to take the, you know, there was an old boat that was stashed at this lake and, you know, had oars, like we, to even try to go after that bull, our lake didn't even connect to that lake. No. You know, and if you were, so he was 1.6 miles away. If you were to walk over there, you know, through all the crooked you know, shoreline and everything else, I mean, that was over two miles, at least two miles to go after that bull, but He didn't even stick around long enough for us to even debate whether we were going to go after him or not. It wasn't an option.
2: Yeah. Two miles of tundra hiking too. That's a little different than, than running after a mule deer or something. It takes, it would have taken a long time to get there.
1: Yeah. The flat ground out there is not flat. Like everything is like these lumps covered in moss and like, you're just so un. I mean, you're very uncertain of, of every step of, you know, the footing and everything. Yeah. Yeah, Those
2: ankles held in good though. Didn't have a single roll.
0: I did have one roll, um, but it it wasn't a bad one. Yeah, I just I I caught it pretty quick. But I think it's the going to the ankle thing, and not (laughs) completely derail this conversation. But I roll my ankle in the easiest conditions normally because I'm not paying attention as much, and they're prone to rolling. But like when I'm walking in stuff like like the tundra, I'm watching every step as I'm going, so it's a little bit,
2: yeah. Yeah, it's hard not to watch. Just look straight down and watch where every single step goes. Yeah, and, and, if you even take your eyes off once, yeah. And and know. we're trying to also watch out for grizzly bears and like and not, see a moose maybe. Yeah, you maybe you know, yeah. A moose. <laughs> and
0: like you're going through, and it, it's like it's tough to not look down. Otherwise, you're tripping, and and it's you know there's some thick country that looks open from afar, and then you get down into it. It's thick, but the way our and and Ethan brought it up earlier, but we didn't really describe kind of landscape that we were at, but. This, you know, this hunt was considered a lake hunt. So we dropped off at a lake and, uh, it's really flat in the bottom, but we had a mountain that came right up to the lake. So that's what we were able to climb up on to be able to see down into that, that bottom, which
1: was really nice to be able to have. Yeah. And what we later learned after we got out was, uh, like that, the, you know, that landscape that we had at that particular lake is not really common out here. Like a lot of this lake country is just flat. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're just like. Like they told us last night, you're just looking at lakeshore and you don't have like an elevated vantage point where you could really get an eye on things. So we didn't realize how well the landscape lent itself to what we were trying to do out there at the time because this lake was butted right up against some some pretty big mountains. And we walked half a mile and were able to gain a couple hundred feet of, uh, of elevation and we were able to see for miles, like we could see more than what we could effectively hunt. So it's like... And I'm glad that we did because, you know, how slow the, the, you know, the moose activity was for us. Um, If we couldn't see all that, it would have been really hard to have that self-control to not run around and drag scent everywhere, just kind of looking for moose. Yeah. Yeah. No, overall though, like, and then the last day of the hunt
0: essentially was just rain the whole day. We never saw a single moose. It was kind of like just like a sad kind of you know day yeah it was kind of
2: heavier rain too it
0: wasn't like just misting or a little foggy
2: it was rain the whole day
0: yeah so that was that that and at that point you know it was kind of settling in with us like yeah we're not we're not going to come home with a moose on this hunt, which is, it's tough. Like, you know, Ethan, you know, mentioned it and it was the same for, for me, like moose has been the, the number one animal I've wanted to hunt my whole life. And, and it's not easy to make one of these hunts happen. So you, you obviously want to be successful with it. And, and that was a really hard thing, but at the same time, and like, like, do I, do I think that, you know, we failed because we didn't, kill something yes 100 percent. but we we learned a lot and i don't really think you deserve nobody deserves anything especially on a first time to be able to do it i was hoping that we'd get lucky and it would happen but uh it was it was uh moose hunting is is interesting and what we learned from we met a bunch of other hunters that have been coming and doing this for years and years we met some awesome guys from south dakota and alaska and hung out with them and drank some beers and stuff last night and and like they're you know it, it, it's like a cult the people that get into it and do it but it's it's a lot of sitting waiting and a lot of silence like it's a lot of a lot of nothing uh, it's not your elk hunting. It's not, it's, it's a patience game. It's, it's uh it's a pretty crazy type of experience that's, that's, uh, it's difficult to be able to explain, but this trip for me, you know, essentially we were in there for 13 days, absolutely no cell service, no, you know, we had our in reaches. So we had some, uh, connectivity to the outside world a little bit, but like it was the the longest that I've been without, you know having you know cell service or going back to the truck or you know we did the 21 day hunt in montana last year but every five six days we go back to the truck get more food hmm. you know do whatever and it was just like completely remote for that time period that was that that's a win in itself just being able to to do that and and then work forward to it
1: yeah um it was a couple of things. It was funny, like leading up to this hunt, I was very aware that it wasn't going to be as active. Like when we we're when we we're actually the hunting aspect of it wasn't going to be as active as like an elk hunt or something like that. But provided we got a bowl or, or maybe even two down throughout this trip. Like that is a lot of meat that you have to move on your back to the lake shore, um, through uneven ground, you know, and, and unknown distance. So I, I trained really hard for this hunt just because I didn't want to get, uh, so again, like you and I had never hunted together. We kind of jumped off the deep end of the pool and I was like, man, I'm one, I want to be prepared, but two, like we're not going to get a bull on the ground and then like have Bo be like, man, I wish this guy prepared a little bit more, you know? So I trained pretty hard for this hunt and we joked about it a lot throughout the week. It's like, you know, then come into this <laughs> hunt and we're just like, we, we hike a mile a day and then just sit down and just eat like calorie dense meals for, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. for 12 hours. Yeah. We like, <laughs> jokingly said, this is probably the back hunt, first back country hunt we came out of weighing more than when we went. <laughs> yeah. A lot of snacking going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially you guys, you guys are heavy on the snacks. I was, I was a bit of a minimalist, uh, I guess in that. Dude, I don't know
0: how you eat such little food. Like that would, I'd be fucking, I'd be dead on the mountain.
1: Okay. Yeah. I added up the calories and, uh, I'm like right at like 2000. Like, so I was, I was right on throughout the day. So it's not how much little, like how little food I bring in. It's how much food you guys bring in. Shit. I had 2000 calories a day. I just trail mix
2: yeah yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah and i'm i'm not talking crap on juices snacks because he was nice enough to keep feeding me some of those uh olive oil and cracked black those pepper triscuits yeah those are good yeah i might have a new snack when i get home yeah do yeah
0: i i i'd say i'd I probably had a little bit too much food. I had about 4,000 calories a day, and um, I could have went with a few things less. But it honestly, though, I, I looked forward to eating each of those things at the milestones of the hours that would go by as you're sitting there for 12 hours a day. Yeah. Just... Looking out, but I will say the one nice thing about this compared to hunting whitetails during the rut in Pennsylvania, at least I can see further than twenty yards, and it's a beautiful view. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: to to be able to see. Speaking of the beautiful view, we got the full show of the fall colors too, and we showed up; everything was just green. Yeah. And when we left, um, I'm sure Bo will have some pictures on his Instagram, but it was just all the trees were turning yellow, and there was entire mountainsides that were just yellow. Yeah. It, I mean, it's hard to describe until you see it, but it was beautiful. Beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's is so coming from like the eastern hardwoods. Um, you know, we're, we're not we're not strangers to like fall colors, but this is so different. All these birch trees were just like just bright yellow. It just looked like highlighter yellow across mm-hmm. across these mountains. And you know, we had mentioned the mountains there, but like this was the most beautiful place I've ever hunted. I mean, these were some big rugged mountains. I mean, our lake was sitting at two thousand feet uh of elevation and uh the mountains there on the other side across the lake from us were that peak was at 7500 and they just shot straight up from from the valley floor and it was man it was gorgeous and and the last day we came out you know we had mentioned the rain uh the day before so when the next so that was last day of season so then you know the day after that we were uh we were waiting to get flown out and some of the clouds started to lift a little bit and you know it what was rain the day before was snow up on top of the mountain. So you have like these snow cap peaks with like highlighter, yellow birch leaves all over, you know, below the tree line. It was, it was gorgeous.
0: Yeah, no, it was, it was so cool to be able to, to be able to see that and see the season change and it, you know, got colder as we were there, you know, the nights got colder and let's, uh let's kind of shift a little bit and talk about some gear stuff. Yeah. You know, like, let's talk about what worked, what didn't work, and uh, just kind of go through it. What were some... Let's start with this. What were some key things that you felt
1: like were 100% necessary for a moose hunt? Uh, What wasn't necessary is I could have left my release in Fairbanks. Turns out I didn't need that. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Man, I felt... I f- man, I felt really good about my gear list. Um, I know that I I aired on the lighter side of things for sure but I never once felt like, Oh man, like I shorted myself. I don't have something that I need. Um, you know, but there's, there's a couple of things definitely throughout the week where I was like, yeah, I'm going to add that, you know, looking at you guys and observing your stuff, definitely a couple of things. And that's the nice thing about hunting with other people. You can kind of adopt their systems and their kits and and stuff that you're like, Oh yeah, I never thought about that. So, um, one that I was like, man, it should have been obvious to me that I really liked about you guys is really in your food system. Um, I just kind of had a dry bag. I hooked all my food into, I laid it out on the counter at home and like laid all my meals out day by day and then like swept it into a bag like an idiot yeah. <laughs> and had Ziploc bags for, for trash and stuff to bring along, obviously. But you guys individual, you guys had individual days laid out in separate Ziploc bags. And that was like a much cleaner, tidier system. So I'm going to adopt that for sure. And the other for me was uh, the glassing pad. Like yeah. I, uh, I was fine. Yeah. I'm not, and again, we talked about that tundra ground just being like so soft and spongy. It was pretty comfortable to sit in, but the thermal barrier of, you know, just having that under you. And I was, you know, I would take my, my Gore-Tex out or something and my rain raincoat and sit it on the ground. So I didn't get a wet butt. And Obviously those Timberline pants had the Gore-Tex in them too. So I never got wet, never had an issue. It's not like I was like, Oh man, I kind of screwed myself, but I'm like, yeah, for how much that thing doesn't weigh, I'm going to definitely add some glassing pad uh, yeah. into my kit.
0: What about you, Juice? What were some things that you thought were like super important uh, or like gear items that you're like, man, I can't live without this or things that you would change up?
2: Well, I bought the Timberline suit for this trip. Um, first time ever using it. I've been trying, I should have just bought it years ago. I've always wanted to, but I never really needed it. Yeah. And man, that thing held up so good. Yeah. You know, it was, I wore that. I mean, we all wore our Timberline set pretty yeah. much every single day. Yeah. I mean, and I- so
0: that's the, that's the, the sick of Timberline pants for anyone that's listening but, mm-hmm. Yeah. Gicky,
2: continue third it, yeah, but those, and then, um, you know, it's kind of the same as like an you know, Alcona kind of good pair of boots is, and gaiters is 100% necessary. We all had top of the line boots. Um, anything less for a hunt like this, you'd be absolutely miserable. Yeah. My boots were like, my feet weren't wet, but my boot, like the outside of my boot itself was wet the entire trip Yeah, from the first minute we got there.
0: Yeah, no, most definitely. And, uh, um, what about anything else you can think of that you thought was super
2: important? Um, I'm trying to think, I mean, the tarp was a good one. Um, a lot of my stuff's just camera gear, you know, having a good, good rain sets, obviously very important too. We all wore rain pants a lot, rain coats a lot. Yeah. Um, you guys had good optics with, so that helped too.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I guess, I guess for me it would be like, yeah, the, the layering system was like, I, I felt very dialed with the way my system was the Timberline pants they are my favorite pants that makes and like for for anything below sixty degree weather, it's like the seat is waterproof on it, so you sit down, you don't get wet. The knees the knees are waterproof on it, so like when you have your gaiters on that go up to your knees, and then you have the water, you're basically above the knee, somewhat waterproof when you're going through brush and doing all that. But the the boots things, I I bought a pair of Schnee's bare Tooth two hundred gram insulated boots phenomenal really enjoyed those boots and you had a set of crispies on and you had and ethan you had a set of schnees as well and we all were happy with our boot choices yeah, yeah. I, I i was glad that i went with 200 gram insulation that was nice on those cold days
1: yeah mine were uninsulated uh you had what the the bear tooth yeah yeah so i have the timberline boots um uh, they were they're uninsulated and it was never an issue but like just comfort it was like yeah i could use a couple hundred grams for sure you know but it was i was all right without it but definitely next time i think i'd, I'd go with the 200 gram insulation
0: yeah and then uh then so then i also the the syca jet stream jacket i wore that a lot on this hunt you know windproof and and highly water resistant having that and then the full merino set this was like you know i never really changed any of that stuff out besides underwear and socks but like the same base layer and mid layer so i had the 120 long sleeve uh and then the 330 hoodie and that was a great system and even those 330 uh weight gloves that i had that were merino um they were new ones that Sika came out with and this was the first hunt i wore them on warm every day and they held up great every time they get wet i just stick them inside my puffy jacket while i was sitting there glassing and my body heat would dry them it was like a really
1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Uh,
0: just to add to what you guys said, I mean, rain gear, man, you can't come to Alaska without good rain gear. That's just kind of a, uh, the nature of be something that's breathable and that you can hike in a little bit and have that. So that was, that was nice. I had the Stormfront uh, jacket and Cloudburst pants, which neither of them are currently in production but uh, those I've had those for a while and they they worked out great for me to be able to see having a spotting scope was good I d- don't think we both needed one which no. we didn't then but that was nice for being able to check so I had my maven uh, the cs1 spotter and then uh, just a set of binos and we just basically glassed you know I didn't I didn't really use my tripod much for glassing you did um, I just you know kind of just went off my knees and just look because a lot of it you can see without even using binos moose are pretty big animals so i just scan with my eyes and
1: then kind of look in detail with the binos yeah i had to start uh having some you know some pretty impressive uh way out there naked eye moose spots because i was catching some heat about every moose i spotted was in the water and uh <laughs> spot moose in the water which proved to be false um yeah there's some accusations made uh but no, the, the spotting scope for everybody listening to like that came into play when we laid eyes on a bull, like we didn't use it to find bulls. It was like, okay, let's identify if that bull's legal. That's yeah. where that came in really useful. Um, you know, it had, had we spotted a bull way off that, you know, we weren't sure about width and, you know, you're like, does he have four brow tines or not? That could save you a couple miles of hiking to find out. Yeah. So, um, you know, but to the clothing, our systems were very similar. I was wearing the Merino, the new Merino from Sitka as well, uh, the base layers. Um, so I had the the 220 boxers and then I had 120 top on, yep. you know, and the thing too is like we talked about this a little bit, um, a lot of times you get away without that. Uh, base layer on the bottom because the Sitka boxers are fairly long they come down you know to like the top of your knee and then your socks come up to almost the bottom of your knee so you kind of almost have like a a full length base layer on anyways but then uh I had my ambient on and I can't say enough about how awesome that ambient hoodie is that thing is one of my favorite pieces of gear that Sitka's come out with and we had talked about it too like if you want a gateway drug into Sitka, like get that ambient hoodie. If you're yeah. curious what Sitka is all about, like that thing, it's really impressive, like how well it does to insulate you, but like not sweating you out and being able to dump the heat when you're being active. And then the Timberline pants. Yeah. We all wore those. And then that jet stream jacket, just the workhorse of the, the big game lineup for, for Sitka for sure. Um, yeah. And then the puffy you can't, you can't cheat yourself. Like, you know, I mean, in Alaska, you have to have the puffy, you have to have, uh, you have to have the good, you know, good rain gear. And it's just kind of mind boggling in Alaska, how quick the weather changes. I mean, it's yeah. outlandish, like what you could see in a day. It's, now, oh, yeah. go ahead. I was just going to say now, like this
0: is, you know this is like one of those hunts where it's like i i believe you know having good gear all around is is pretty dang important but Mm -hmm. when you're getting dropped off and left there now you know i was reading the jack o'connor books from the 1940s and they're just walking around in wool pants and and you know smoking cigarettes and doing all that kind of stuff so yes you can do it and people have done it i've looked at old photos of when my grandpa was up here and my girlfriend's grandpa, that used to hunt Alaska a lot and they were, you know, in their flannels and stuff like it can be done, but man, to be out there for that long, being comfortable. Yeah. And and not having to bring a ton of bulk. That's the other thing is like you can get away with some other stuff probably, but if you have to have a lot of change of clothes (laughs) from getting wet, like I never changed my pants the whole time for two weeks. Like it was like, they'd get, they get wet. I get in my sleeping bag at night. They dry out by the morning. I throw all my wet stuff in my sleeping bag. Cook it dry by the morning. It was like, it. I felt pretty pretty dialed with it, and the tent setup was was great. I love that Hilleberg. I have the. Oh man, I'm I'm probably gonna mess it. the Katum GT3 tent. Uh, my buddy Michael Palladino, him and I split on that. We bought it for last time went to Alaska, and honestly, I haven't used it since because it's a pretty bombproof shelter. But and it's it's a little bit heavier than like the Seek ones or any of the other ones that I've used. But it's it's pretty comfortable. It's got nice big vestibules on each side. You know, Justin and I both slept in that. And we were good, and then Ethan had
1: a Stone Glacier tent that yep. he used yeah so this is my first season running that tent we used it on the the caribou hunt last month and then um that was pretty pretty mild weather and then definitely got it you know got to test it on this hunt with colder temps and a lot of rain and um man that tent just really just just you know it did, well. it did really well yeah i'm really happy with that tent no that's 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 good it i'm trying to think uh what else is
0: a piece of gear i mean bringing books on something like this is, is important. I went through two books. I read Jack O'Connor's book, and then I also read, uh, Steve Rinello's book, just self-titled meat eater. And, uh, that was a really good, good read to be able to have. And, uh, it was, it was cool to, it was funny. The one, one night I was reading Jack O'Connor's book and I was just sitting there by the lake as it was getting dark. And, and, uh, I, he's talking about when he, I think he was sheep hunting and he was talking about as it gets into September and the the birch trees start to turn yellow and they look like candles across the sky as it gets dark and it was getting dark I look up and that's exactly what it, what I was
1: seeing as I was reading the pages looking up and it was like that was that was pretty cool yeah um, I was reading Aldo Leopold's uh, Sand County Almanac during the hunt too and just that book just you know talking about wild things and wild places it's you know and then you just look up it. What we were looking at for 13 days, and it's like, man, yeah, hit home. No, Alaska's a uh, a freaking wild place, that's for sure. And
0: I love love coming here. It's definitely it's definitely not cheap. It's definitely not easy to get to get here, and to be able to do it, it takes a lot of time, commitment, a lot of traveling, a lot of everything. Like, not going to sugarcoat it and say that's easy at all. But man, I I really like getting to do it. It yeah. was, it was a tough pill to swallow to miss elk hunting just to, cause I love elk hunting
1: and the action of it, but this was obviously a pretty dang good substitute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and you touched on it earlier and not to sugarcoat stuff. It was, you know, it, it was a tough pill to swallow to not punch a moose tag on this one, you know? I mean, it sounds cliche to talk about too, but like we were both, you know, we were both completely happy with whoever shot a moose, you know? I think realistically we're like, man, like I, I, we hope to shoot, you know, I don't want to say expected, but we're like, man, we should get a moose because you're hunting with the rifle. I got the bow. We're pretty covered, but we both hope for two moose, but realistically it'd probably be like a moose. And then all of a sudden we're like, we're not coming home with any, with a moose at all. And like you said, you know, there, there's no illusions, right? Like we've been moose hunters for 10 days. Like I don't feel, none of us feel like we've, were owed anything or like we've earned a moose or anything, you know, there's no... It's one of the things that makes these experiences special is like, there's no correlation between how much you want it and, and what you get in return, you know, or, or how much money you paid. And, and we put a lot of financial strain on ourselves and, and coming in this trip. And it was like the top of our bucket list for both of us. And you look forward to this ever since you're a kid and you're just like, you want it so bad, you know, but you're not, doesn't mean you're owed anything, you know? And it was like, man, we're not coming home with a moose. And that one, that one hurt a little bit more than, than any other hunt that I, you know, that I'd didn't tag out on. And, uh, you know, call it what it is, right? Like it's a, it's an unsuccessful hunt. Like, you know, it it was a great trip, but an unsuccessful hunt. You know, I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, define success, you know, so.
2: Right. And you know, the one thing, the positive that we can take away from this is like, we had a bull that probably would have measured right at 50. Yeah. And collectively we decided to pass it on our first moose hunt. Yeah. And I think for us having like realistic expectations and going into the hunt and looking at that bull right there, it's in I mean, it was right there for us. Yeah. And we all said, We're not doing it. It's too close. So I think we we all kind of, you know, we made the responsible decision there. You know, maybe some guys would have been like, It's close, it's fifty, fifty one, let's go just just see if we can get it. But we were very calm and collective. It was at sixty yards and we were still were like, nope.
0: Yeah, no, and, and, and yeah, that's, that's exactly, that's a good point. And, and to to me too, it's like, we talked about it earlier about hunting partners and, and choosing it, but like, if you're going to do a hunt like this, just be, make sure you, you find somebody to go with or people to go with that are on the same page as you make sure you communicate. We talked about this a lot out there, like clear communication expectations. It's like, you know, like we both, Ethan and I both went into it being, Perfectly okay if the other one shot a bull and we didn't, and that was like the full on honest and and you'll see that throughout the hunt if it if it's not that way, you know, where someone's like yeah. starting getting a little angry, a little testy about you know certain things are not going their ways, but it's like that's we had clear expectations on that and that's what it was set and it was like all right, whoever's up to shoot that day, you know, we all make decisions collectively, but at the end of the day, that person makes the that final decision to go do it and like we had those clear expectations going into it and i thought that i thought that that worked out well because i mean you're spending a freaking ton of time i don't care if you're with you know the, the the your favorite person on earth that's a lot of time to spend with anybody you know so yeah. it's it's important to find the right people and have those clear expectations
1: yeah you don't want to uh you don't want to start hashing that stuff out when you're when you're looking at a bowl be like oh like how do we handle this like we we went into this hunt and we laid out i think every s- scenario that we could imagine like all right like what like let's get on the same page before we ever you know leave home be like how's this gonna go how are we gonna handle this how are we gonna handle that and like i think before we even spoke the words we were already like on the same page and you know, we alternated like whose you know quote unquote turn you know turn it was but also too like using the bow like uh, if there was, had we seen a legal bull that we were going to go after and there was zero chance that I'm getting into bow range, like you're up to bat, yeah. you know? And, and I'm sure that if we had a bull that was like right in a sweet spot for a bow, you know, you're like, you would have been like, why don't you give that a shot? Yeah, it doesn't definitely. work out. I got the rifle. So, you know, and that you can't say enough about picking the right hunting partners. Yeah, yeah,
2: and it's, it's, you know, there's teamwork that goes into everything, but especially a hunt like this but from everything from getting to the spot to the food system to calling raking trees, helping each other decide if the bull is legal or not, then all the way down to packing out. So as opposed to like a deer hunt where if you're with someone who's you get along with and it's just okay, you're hunting different tree stands. But when you're sitting in the rain for 13 hours together on day five and it's consecutive like that, you need to be dialed in. There's mm-hmm. just no doubt about it.
1: Yeah, it it was just nice like this group. It was you know nobody's like, hey, why don't you go do this? Why like everybody's pulling their weight constantly and just you know it's like you kind of gotta get in line to to you know because people are already just getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I was very happy with how all that went. and, yeah. and uh, yeah,
0: I, I guess I got got my preparation for getting my butt kicked in the tree now I'm not seeing deer for i just got that ready you know yeah. got my old day sits in early in the season yeah knocked the rust off a little knocked bit the rust off oh man no it's it uh but overall great great hunt great experience Is There anything else you guys think about like that uh we missed on touching i mean i know there's a lot of things and there will be a film that comes out on it and everything but no
1: i i think we covered it
2: mm-hmm. yeah i think so too yeah
0: well Cool. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap this one up. We actually got to get out of this, um, uh, this cabin here shortly and, and make our trip back to the airport are a long way to get back home to Pennsylvania and Minnesota. So I appreciate you guys. And, uh, just give a, let everybody know where they can find you. Justin, start with you.
2: Uh, basically, just Instagram, um, Justin Mueller Photography. Um, you'll you'll see photos of this trip. Bo post. I'm sure he'll tag me in it. You can just go straight off of there. We'll see if I tag you. We'll see. Well, we'll see if I give you the photos. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well played. Yeah. We can
0: keep going to see. Yeah. I'll pay ya. yeah. Uh, <laughs> All but, right.
1: I'll interject here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So the same thing. Instagram. Um, last name spelled D M I D E. You know, last name D M I spelled D E M I, and then so the handles D E. EMI, Ethan.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so check them out and want to book
0: a bow fishing trip or do any waterfowl hunts or
1: anything, get a hold of Ethan. Let's do it. We still got to get you on a waterfowl hunt. I know you got a handful of people close in your network that are chipping away at you, but yeah. I feel like we're, that is one other thing. I'm sorry. We, we, we're we getting a little bit closer with you. We got you identifying some waterfowl on this hunt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, <laughs> We'll do it. We, all these ducks and all the stuff and you guys are just like, oh, look,
0: that's a pin-tailed redneck whatever you know going through
2: all these point things. proven we have some work to do yeah, we're getting there. To do. yeah. yeah. <laughs> i was like i don't know what the heck That's a duck that's a duck i've been I, working I've on bow for a while now so i'm glad ethan's on my team
1: yeah, the Waterfall yeah. stuff. We'll get there.
2: i have a handful of friends that have been trying to get me to go waterfowl
0: hunting and i just keep putting off it's not that i don't want to do it it's just the time commitment and i just don't want to get into something else like that's my that's my big thing
1: yeah i hear you
0: but Maybe I, maybe I'll make it, make it happen at some point and just do it as like a one off thing, but all right, we'll close this one out, but thank you guys. Uh, yeah. And thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, Bo.